This is Mark Brown for Beyond the Room at the Department of Psychiatry at Oxford University's 50th anniversary bash. And I'm here with Daniel Freeman, who gave an extremely interesting presentation about workaround VR. For the benefit of people who weren't lucky enough to witness that, tell me a bit about your work in VR. I guess the argument I'm putting forward is that with immersive virtual reality, you've got a potential to deliver really high quality psychological interventions to many more people. Um, I think mental health problems are inextricably bound up with the environment. You've got a fear of heights, you worry about heights. You've got social phobia, worrying about being other people. And in VR, we can present people with these troubling situations and we can coach them through it, I think, with a virtual coach um, and can make the real change in the situations that trouble them. When you have a mental health difficulty, they play out in the environment and you've got to help people think, feel and behave differently in the situations that trouble you. VR, you can take people there and because they know it's a simulation, they do stuff they wouldn't in the real world, yet the learning they make transfers. So it's... I think delivers one of the most powerful techniques in cognitive therapy um, and I also think we can potentially deliver these ways in a very engaging, uh, I would say enjoyable, it's not always enjoyable because it's tough sometimes dealing with fears, but in a way that's much more engaging for patients than standard treatments. And then I think if you automate it you can therefore not rely on therapists delivering the treatment, which means this is one way. There are other ways too, but this is one way I think you can increase access to some of the best psychological therapies. So can you, people can't quite picture what a VR intervention might look or feel like. Give us a kind of, give us a sense of what it actually looks and feels like in practice. Yeah, so you put on a headset and you get immersed in the computer world. And we start off normally in the therapist's room. Um, and you'll meet the virtual therapist, they'll talk a bit about the types of problems you have, they might ask you a few questions about your particular difficulties, and then normally they'll go from that virtual therapist room into a recreation of a situation that troubles you. So if it's fear of heights, we'll take you to balconies and heights. If it's more sort of social phobia, you'll be in public situations around other people. Uh, in Game Change, the program we're doing for people with uh, psychosis we're tackling anxious social withdrawal from everyday social situations such as being on a bus, sleeping down the street, being in a cafe, being in a pub, situations that uh, people with lived experience of psychosis have said to us that can be difficult and they want help to overcome the anxieties of the situation. So you meet the virtual coach and then we'll take you to a virtual cafe or a virtual pub and it will be graded in difficulties so the first time you go in there may be no people in that virtual cafe uh, but by the hardest level, there might be lots of people and you might be asked to do some tasks in front of the people to put the attention on you. So in some ways, you can push uh, some of the difficulty in VR because people know it's a simulation. You can have a bit more fun and, and do some enjoyable tasks. Uh, but in the end, because you're basically facing the main senses, the virtual world is experienced as the real world and the learning you make then transfers. And that was that was a really interesting thing from your talk, was the, was the, same, was the finding that what you experience in that virtual realm is transferable to the real? Because that would be the point where most, most people's kind of understanding would kind of flounder, I think. Yeah, and, and to be fair, that's always been the question about VR. There's lots of studies showing that if you change in VR, it changes in the real world. But I think more and more I'm beginning to realise, because I've done some like intensive height treatments, just a couple of hours with no real heights, and before and after taking to give to real heights, and it definitely works. And I think it's because your main senses, certainly vision and sound, but we also can do some haptics, are replaced. And that's what you're experiencing. And therefore, it is the reality you're in at the moment. That is what your, your brain is, is experiencing. So of course, consciously you know it's not real, but of course a lot of the brain's processing is not conscious or under direct control. So I think 
most of your brain is getting the sensory information of, of a computer world, and that's real. Kind of strikes me that in a couple of years' time, we're going to have to have treatment for virtually inflicted trauma. <laughs> well, I mean, I think what, what we've certainly got to do, and we, we're doing a game changer a lot, is think about are there any potential adverse side effects? We've got to measure them. We also got to work out what could potentially put people off the R. Are there worries or fears about it? So that is a side we need to take seriously. Um, I've seen uh, more delight with with patients who had focus groups and the treatment about VR treatment than I've seen for any other treatment. Uh, it's kind of people find it fun and amazing, and there's a sense of delight when they're doing the treatment. Whilst also uh, the the effort that goes into successful treatment, the person gives two is visible too. But there's this sort of dual awareness going on. So it kind of struck me a kind of broader subtext of these two days really is about the question of how you get from research being done, mechanisms being identified, responses to those mechanisms being developed, how you get that out to scale. And it kind of strikes me that you almost need like kind of funder exposure VR to help them to deal with the, the idea of risk in getting behind early stage ideas and supporting them over time. It's almost like they need to be able to try out stuff before they can decide to make a commitment to funding it. Well, I think certainly with VR, um, there's no doubt that until you've tried it and tried good VR, because VR can vary in quality. Once you've tried good VR, it persuades people. But of course, you've got to have people try that. So we're doing a lot of work going to services to get people to try it. And that normally really helps. Um, you mentioned the Oxford approach. I think uh, we're hearing it today. And I think David Clark and Angulas and Paul Sarkovskis and Chris Bourbon have been doing and set a model of, I think, also precision in mental health care treatment. They're very focused on particular problems. Um, being precise about what the problem is, in which case they can build really elegant theory around that and use that experiment to, 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 to develop initial treatment techniques and then, and, and then make that into a fuller treatment. It's, it's, it's been produced extremely you know, powerful treatments. Um, so I think, it's, I think we had today basically so many of us have been influenced by that kind of focused thinking that, that, that they've pioneered. So what excites you about the future of mental health research in Oxford or elsewhere? Oh God, there's loads. I mean, um, so certainly for, for me, the, the, the potential of immersive technologies to, to really give very good treatments to lots of people is exciting. But always, there's so much more to be done also in understanding of different mental health conditions. We, you know, within some conditions we can treat many people very well, some conditions we can treat some people very well. And we've got to get better theory, we've got to do more research to understand disorders, and we've got to use that knowledge to produce better treatments. And we've got to have that interaction between the research and what users of mental health care want as well. Um, there's huge amounts to do. Uh, there's huge amounts in understanding and developing treatment. So there's, there's you know, inspirational figures we've heard from today who've done remarkable things. And I think that should inspire us to do and you know, continue what they're doing for, for lots of other challenges in mental health care. Brilliant. Thank you for that. Mm -hmm.